Well, you know, I'll tell you what, I just hearing the songs this morning uh, really helped me to appreciate, well, more than anything, helped me to appreciate God even more, if that's, if that's possible. You know, just to, to be reminded of the goodness of Him. And I have to admit, the first song I heard, I thought, oh, we should sing that again at the end because that fits perfect with the message. And I, I well, there's no other song to, to fit better with what the, the text is about today. And then I heard the second song and thought, no, no, that's the song we got to sing. <laughs> and uh, no, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate all the work that the, the, the worship team does. In fact, uh, I was here earlier this week uh, on the, in one of the evenings, and they were practicing in here. And so just listening outside the door and praising the Lord, you know, it's just a, it's a great thing. And we're, we, we praise the Lord for the gifts that he's given to our church. Amen? Amen. And, uh, <laughs> uh, well, we're going back to Joshua, so we're going to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Last week, we talked about the fear of man, which really has become the, the obstacle to the, the fear of God. So uh, we're kind of putting the two together this week. It's the fear of man and the fear of God part two this week. Last week, we focused on the fear of man, but this week, we're going to focus on the fear of God, because we're going to be introduced to someone in a story who overcame the fear of man and feared the Lord. So let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 2, where we, where we uh, left off, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1. That's where we started and ended last week. So you're probably thinking it's going to take us about 10 years to get to the book of Joshua, but it's not so. <laughs> We're going to cover 14 verses this week. But let's look back at verse 1, where we left off last week. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go few the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Last week, we really focused on two of the characters from, the, from verse 1. We focused on the two spies, and we compared uh, the spy account, the second spy account, with these two spies, with the first spy account, where there were ten, uh, ten spies who voted against the two spies, and that's why they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Today we're going to focus on the, the third character that we find in verse 1. And we're going to focus a little bit on Rahab and, uh, and, and focus this week more on her. Let's look at the verses uh, 2 and 3 as well. Let's continue to read. It says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you have entered your house, where they have come to search out all of the country. I want you to put yourself in Rahab's shoes just for a moment. Um, she doesn't exactly have a position of high status in Jericho, right? All we really know about her is her occupation. This is not a, a great occupation. <coughs> but the two spies chose to stay there, probably because she's not an important person. It's easy to sneak in, sneak out. Uh, unfortunately, people are sneaking in and sneaking out all the time of a place of her business. And so it's just an easy way, easy place to sneak in and sneak out. But you have to put yourself in her shoes for just a moment and realize that uh, they've heard the stories of what had happened to the people of Israel. They've heard the stories about what happened in Egypt. We're going to read a little bit more about that later. And, and uh, uh, they knew what was going on, how God was with them in the desert. And now where they are stationed, Jericho sits just to the west of the Jordan River. You can see the Jordan River from there. If, on a clear day, if you look to the southeast, you'd be able to see the Dead Sea 
And, but right on the other side of the Jordan River, in eyeshot of where they are, there's the people of Israel camped around. After all the stories they heard about the Israelites, there they are. And then two spies come in. And then her, the king sends word to her saying, tell us about the spies because they're, they're spies of the people of Israel. What would be the temptation to do for her? And if, if you think about last week, we talked about the fear of man. We have to say, for rain has perspective. If there was ever a time to fear man, now is the time. Is, wasn't it? I mean, what can the king of, of Jericho do? He can do whatever he wants. And, uh, and, and so her life is at stake. If there's ever a time for her to fear man, now is the time. But let's continue reading the story in verse 4. We'll read verse 4 through 7. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So, so she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. I per, uh, or pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the forest. And as soon as uh, those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So what we find here is, uh, is that even though this was a time for her to fear man, if there ever was a time, what did she do? She chose to hide the spies and help them escape. She hid the spies, she put them up on her roof, and then what did she tell the, the, uh, the king or the king's men? She said, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't know who they were, and, uh, but they're gone now, go pursue them. She's acting in a sense like she's on their side, but she's telling them, go pursue, uh, go pursue them because they're gone. But were they gone? No. She hid them in her place. That's even a more dangerous thought, really. I can understand saying, if you felt like you wanted to be on their side, say, all right, just go, take off. You can, you know, be, the king's coming and maybe giving them some work. But no, she's hiding them in her place of occupation, which means that if they find them there and she's already lied saying that they're gone, what do you think the king would have done to Rahab? Oh, yeah, she would be dead without a second thought. She's putting her life on the line for two men that she just met. Why? Why on earth would she do that? What was going on? Well, we find the answer to that when we come to the next few verses. Let's look at verse 8 through 11. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Let me just stop there for a second. Now, did you notice that there, there's a, a chronological order that's, that hasn't been followed here? Uh, right now, we, we, we have the story, and she's already talked to the men, but then it goes back into time and says, but before this happened, and then it tells us part of the story, whenever there's a chronological uh, thing uh, going on in, in Scripture, oftentimes, especially in Hebrew literature, it's because they're, they're connecting some different dots together. And we're going to see how this relates in a second, but she goes back into time in a second. The, the writer goes back into time, says this is what happened before the men came, and we'll see why in just a moment. But verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, 
whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Why did she stick up for the spies? She stuck up for the spies because she feared the Lord. She feared the Lord over the king of Jericho. She feared the Lord over the people of Jericho. She, she feared the Lord and a group of people in, a tent, in tents over her fortified city of Jericho. Was that a smart decision? Yes, it was, wasn't it? When you know the Lord. Now, the reason that this is kind of put in out of chronological order is because this is a typical Hebrew literary structure. And, uh, and so when they do that so that you can compare two things side by side. And what we find is she has two declarations, and they're, they're, they're uh, connected. First, by the statement, I did not know. And in the second declaration, by the, by the statement, I know. And so in the Hebrew structure, they put these together. Uh, remember, like last week, we talked about how in Hebrew, a lot of it's playing dot to dot. And we saw that when you compare the first spy account to the second spy account, and you begin to see things clearly. And here we have, have it in a smaller level where we have, I didn't know, and then I know. And we put these two declarations together. First is her declaration to the men of, of Jericho, and the second is her declaration to the two spies. Let's look a little bit about what she said. This, is, this will help us understand the fear of God that Rahab had. First, uh, when she said, I, I didn't know. Well, let's go back to verse 4. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, yes, the men came, came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. We see that again. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. What we find is, is she sided, she was siding with the spies instead of her king. And, and, and so when we find this first declaration, what we find out, she wasn't saying that she was doing that. She wasn't exactly being honest, but let's give her a break. She's a new God-fearing person, right? But um, she chose to side with the spies because of who the spies were connected to. But she chose not to side what an amazing amount of, well, really amazing lack of the fear of man that we see in her. We call that courage, don't we? We call that courage. So we find that she overcame the obstacle of the fear of man. What on earth caused Rahab to overcome that fear of man? I don't know about you, but last week as I was preaching and as I was preparing for last week's message, I have to admit, I'm guilty of the fear of man many times. How many of you are guilty of the fear of man too? Okay, good. I see a lot of hands, and the ones who didn't raise their hands are not being honest. No, <laughs> no they, they fear us too much, right? So, no. Of course, uh, we all do. Right? We all raise our hands with that, because we do. We're, we, we, we carry the weight of other people's opinions way too much sometimes. And, uh, but here, we see her not just caring for, for the, the opinions of other people, but for her own life. And she said, I'm not going to fear this man why? Because she's going to fear God. That's where we look at the second declaration uh, that we find in verses 8 through 11 when she talks to the spies. It says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. What does she know? She knows that this land 
belongs to the people of God. She knows it. She's afraid, or not afraid of Jericho. Why? Because she's afraid of Jehovah. She's not afraid of the king of Jericho because she knows the king of kings. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so it makes sense. So she sided with the Lord over Jericho. By the way, usually in, in most of the translations that you have, when you see the Lord in all capital letters, then that's the name of God. Did you know that God only has one name? All sorts of titles for God. It's like I have a lot of titles. Um, to some people, I'm Uncle Dave. If you're my nephew or niece. Or kids of missionaries that we've worked with. Right? But I'm Uncle Dave. Or I might be Pastor Dave to some of you. I might be Dad to others of you. Uh, I have different titles. But I only have one name, and it's David. And God himself only has one name. And what is that name? Yeah, we call it Jehovah sometimes. Or in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Yahweh, I am, the self, self-sufficient one. And uh, whenever you see all capitals uh, in the scripture for the Lord, it's the, that's, the, that's the name of God there. But she feared the Lord. She overcame her the fear of man, and she feared the Lord. I hope we can begin to see this reciprocal relationship between these two. Because the fear of the Lord becomes an obstacle to the fear of man. Or, sorry, the fear of, of man becomes an obstacle to the fear of God. But at the same time, when we fear God, we begin to fear man less. You see how that reciprocal relationship between these two uh, begin to take place. What was her basis for fear? Why did she fear the Lord? Remember what she said? Well, let's go back and take a look at it. Uh, and she said to men, verse 9, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That the terror of, uh, of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and I, whom you utterly destroyed. She has two bases of fear that she has. Number one, she, she, she knew the story of them crossing the Red Sea. You know, I, I remember watching, I don't know if it was Discovery Channel or one of those, and they were talking about Egypt, and, and they gave the story of the Israelites and leaving, and they said, but the, the Egyptians had a very different version of what happened. And that's all they said, because they wanted, those channels never try to back up Scripture, don't they? I mean, they always try to discredit Scripture. So they just said, yeah, but their account was very different. So I decided to look it up, and I got online and started looking it up and seeing what the Egyptians had to say about it. And did you know that fact, point for point, what they actually visually saw fits exactly in line with what the scriptures said? They said that the waters split open, that the Israelites crossed, then they said that they chased them in pursuit, and that the waters fell down on them, exactly like the Bible says. The only difference is they said that it was their gods who were angry at them for letting the Israelites go. So, of course, that's their take on it. But you know what? The facts are the facts. God opened up the Red Sea. The Israelites walked across on dry land. And then, then the Egyptians followed them. Huge blunder. <laughs> they followed them. And they're walking across or running across or taking their chariots across. And the next thing you know, God just swallows up the Egyptian army in one swoop. God does something unbelievable. Amen? Now, if that doesn't excite you, then I don't know what does. You've got to get a little bit excited about this. This is our God. The same God that we serve now is the God who swallowed up the Egyptian army. Do you believe that? Yeah. All right, that's a little better. We, 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 we serve an awesome God. Rahab saw.
saw God's power and said, wait, something is different about this God. This God is, he's powerful. He's not like our gods. The second thing that she said uh, that, that was the basis of her fear was she saw how the Lord was with the people of Israel even in the, their 40 years of wandering. Now, what kind of cities did the, did the Israelites build? None. What did they have? They had lived in tents. God himself dwelled in a tent to be with his people. How often did they stay in one, one place? Not for very long. In fact, God made sure of it because his presence would show them in the pillar of a cloud or a pillar of fire. He would take them to a new place. Part of the reason for that was just to teach them how to follow him. Part of the reason for that was so that they didn't develop any roots. He, they want, he wanted them to learn to be completely dependent upon God. Has God ever taken you through a, a point in your life like that? I remember when we first got married and, and uh, we lived in the upstairs apartment of, uh, of an older lady's house. Remember that? Maybe? And, and uh, we, we didn't realize how poor we were. But we had God on our side. And he took care of us. We, we ate almost every dinner time, right? <laughs> it just, and God took, took good care of us. And so, so she saw how God took care of the people of Israel during those times. And then the Amorite kings are thinking, wow, these people took the spoils of Egypt. They're living in tents. Let's go, let's go steal it from them. So, so Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings, came against the people of Israel. And how does she put it in, in, uh, in the verse? She said, the kings of Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. I think, wait, the Amorites, they have soldiers, they have swords, they have shields, they have fortified cities, and they couldn't take out these farmers with tents? That's because they're not really fighting battles against the Israelites. Who are they fighting a battle against? Yahweh, the, the Lord. And so Rahab saw all of this. And then all of a sudden, 40 years pass. It's just like Yahweh had said. And she looks across the river, and there's a huge camp with, and the numbers uh, vary. Some, some say between a, one and two million Israelites camped across uh, the, the Jordan River. And what does she say? There's panic everywhere. She, but she feared the Lord over the people of Jericho. That's right. At first glance, it seems like, wow, it, it takes a lot of courage. But when you really get the big picture and you put you add God to the equation, it would make it makes perfect sense to have that kind of courage if you're on God's side. Amen? Amen. And so that was her basis for fear. That's why she was able to have a fear of, of God, is because she was impressed by what God had done. How many of you today come impressed by what God has done? I hope you do. As we sang those songs, that was just impressive. Uh, for me to, to, to just recall the things that God has done. That we serve the same God. It, it should blow our minds. They saw the power of God. Uh, and uh, uh, she saw the power of God and she was impressed. But why is it so different for Rahab than it was for the people of Jericho? Why didn't the people of Jericho say, uh-oh, it's time for the Israelites to come. All right, come on in. <laughs> they didn't do that. So we, have, we find that there's two different kinds of fear going on, two different kinds of responses, two, two types of reactions to witnessing God's power, and they are different, and I think it's important for us to catch this difference. If we look at some of the words that Rahab used to describe, uh, to describe I think we'll, we'll get some insights, because the people of Jericho, did they fear the Lord? That's a tricky one. 
question. Were they afraid of the Lord? Yeah. Uh, but, but Rahab, did she fear the Lord? Yeah. So there's something different going on, and I think it's worth diving into and looking at this. And so let's look at some of the expressions that, uh, that Rahab explained. And she said in verse 9, or 8 and 9, she said, uh, I'll start in verse 9. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. She describes uh, the sentiment of the people as terror. The terror of you has fallen on us. That's a strong word uh, when you think of it. Terror. It's that, uh, in fact, the, the root of the, the meaning, literally, it comes from the same root as the word to shake or to tremble. So you get this concept of there's such a fear that you physically respond. How? By shaking. Have you ever felt that way? Been that terrified? Maybe some of you who experienced the, uh, the tornado recently, depending on how close it came to your house, may have felt that sense of terror. But that's what it's talking about, that terror has fallen upon us. She also says in verse 9, um, and that the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. They're faint-hearted. That sense of where you, you're, you feel like your heart's just going to give out, like your heart itself is going to faint. That's the, the idea here. They're faint-hearted because of, uh, of, of what they saw God do. It goes on to say in verse 10 and 11, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when he came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of, of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. It says in verse 11, as, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted. Three beautiful descriptions of the sentiments that they were feeling as a people. It goes on to say, uh, neither, did, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. So there's, a, there's this loss of courage. This describes what happened to the people of Israel. Does this earn them any credit with the Lord? No. So is this the fear of the Lord that we hear about so often in the Old Testament and the, the, fear, of the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom? <coughs> Not really. Not really. There's something different going on here. Uh, this is it's a type of, of fear, but not really the, the same. What, uh, because when you look at the result, what did this type of fear produce? Well, what did the people of Jericho do? Number one, they tried to kill the spies. Kill the messenger. Right? And number two, they closed the exit. Uh, they shut the gates. Remember, as soon as they thought that the people who were going to pursue the spies had left, what does it say they did? They immediately shut the gates. Why? They didn't want anyone else coming back in. In other words, they're preparing for battle. They're preparing to defend themselves. Um, I think if you could put, put all of this into one word, I would use the word defiance. That's the result. Defiance. They were afraid of God, but they were defiant. But you notice when when Rahab says, uh, explains all this, she says that terror has fallen upon us. So who does us include? Her. Did she feel this sense of terror? Yes, she did. Uh, when they said that we are faint-hearted, does that include her? It does. She felt faint-hearted, too. Said our hearts melted. Does that include her? Yes, it does. She switches. They call this first-person plural for all the grammar Nazis out there. It means us, or we. With the first three explanations, uh, or descriptions of the fear of God, of the, Jer of the people of Jericho, she used that first person plural. She switches 
to what we call third-person plural. He, or they. She switches with that when she talks about courage. That none of them, none of the people of Jericho, none of them has courage. She doesn't apply that to herself. And why do you think that is? Did she have courage? Actually, what we find in the story is that she has this gain of courage or this increase of courage. Why? Because she was siding with a different king. Um, so the result was very different. Instead of trying to kill the spies, what did she do? She hid the spies. Instead of, instead of closing the gate, what did she do? She provided an exit. In fact, if you look at verse 15, we find out that she provided an exit right out of her own home. It says, uh, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. So while the people of Jericho are closing their gates, she's letting them out the window. Isn't that kind of unique, how that works out? And uh, you see how this is working. People of Jericho, they were afraid of God. There's not a doubt about it. They had that emotional response to seeing who God was. But is that emotional response enough to save them? It's not. With, with Rahab, we find that she feared God. She feared the Lord. And is that response going to be enough to save her? Well, we're going to talk about it next week, but we're going to see that it does. There's a difference between being afraid of God and fearing God. When we're afraid of God, our, we respond with defiance. When we fear God, we respond with compliance. Okay, Lord, I'm on your side. What do you want me to do? What's my role? I'll do that. And as long as I'm on your side, then I can have courage. Um, there's a difference between just being afraid of God and fearing God. Is there not? Fear is that reverence that we have. Yes, there's that emotional sense of fear, but there's that reverence that goes with it. Um, you know, I, I remember as a child, I feared my dad. I have a great relationship with him. I love him. But there was that sense of fear. Uh, I don't remember it any more strongly than one time when I was about 12 years old. And my parents had somehow thought it was wise to buy me a BB gun. <laughs> and uh, I was on the, the, my porch. And I, I was just shooting at things. And so I saw my dad's little Honda over there. So I thought, I'm going to shoot the window. <laughs> I shot the window in that thing. And nothing happened. So I thought, oh, cool. So I shoot it again. Oh, nothing happened. So I'm just aiming, shooting at the window. Of course, I thought nothing was happening, but there were little cracks happening. I just couldn't see them from there. Until finally, the entire window just caved in. It just crumbled. Now, normally, every day when my dad would come home from work, he was a pastor, and he'd come home from the church, I was waiting for them, him there with open arms. That day, I was waiting behind the couch. <laughs> hidden. Why? Because there's that fear of my dad that I had. And my dad... He was, not a, he was not a yeller, he was, he, but he just had that commanding sense. The strongest words I think I've ever heard him say uh, was when I was, uh, I was in high school. I was playing soccer. I had uh, mono, so I wasn't supposed to be playing soccer. And I convinced my mom to just let me show up to the game. I said, if I don't dress, can I just show up? She said, sure. And uh, then I said, well, can I dress and just not play? And... You know, I just kept nagging, and uh, my mom finally said, oh, sure, okay, you can dress as long as you don't play. And then finally I convinced her, can I just play one shift, you know, one shift? 
And she said, yes, but as soon as you come out, you're done with the rest of the game. And so I played a ship that started at the beginning of the game and ended at the end of the game. <laughs> and, and it rained, and it poured, and it was muddy, and here I was, sick. And I, I came in the door that night, uh, excited because we had won a game, but feeling rotten. And my dad said, and I'll never forget, he said, I disapprove. I 100% disapprove. Now, if you know my dad, those are strong words. <laughs> and it's that fear of who my dad was, and, my, and it's all he needed to say, and I was sorry. You, you know what I mean? Uh, it's that, that there's a difference between just being afraid of someone and fearing him, because there's that level of respect that goes with fear. It's that reverence, that fear. That's something that Rahab had that the people of Jericho missed. They had fear. They had fear in the sense of, of being afraid and it resulted in defiance. Rahab had a fear that results in compliance. That's the fear we're talking about. It's a very different kind of fear. By nature, uh, um, uh, well, um, let, me, let me just uh, get back to something here first. Let's put it this way. The true fear of God is when we are so impressed by who God is that we no longer fear anyone or anything else because we know we're on His side. Isn't that true? Amen. Let's think that through. The fear of God is when we are so impressed by who God is. We've seen what He's done. We, we, we know who He is. We get a glimpse of who He is. But now we no longer have to fear anyone or anything else because we know we're on His side. That's true fear. By nature, it works kind of like this. If you look at this uh, this, start, this, uh, this chart, this is the fear of man, so low fear of man, high fear of man here, or low fear of God, high fear of God. Where do we start by nature? Yeah, by nature, we have a high level of fear of man. It's how we learn everything as a child, really. We, 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 we're concerned about everyone around us. We watch and we learn, and we, we follow the crowd. By nature, we have a high level of fear of man. How about a fear of God? Do we, are we born with the fear of God? Not really. Typically, by nature, we have a low level of the fear of God. But we, we learn to fear God as he reveals his, his power. Look at Romans 1, 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll put the words up here so you don't have to turn there. But look at Romans 1, 18 to 21. We read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, literally by their unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest, or clearly made known, to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they know God, or knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. By nature, do we give God the glory that he deserves? No, no. We don't. We should be fearing him, and we don't. We almost ignore him. I like the way I put it back in verse 18, where we suppress the truth by our unrighteousness. We just pile on our unrighteousness, and we forget about who God is. But that's how we are by nature. But we learn to fear God as he we can increase that fear of God, but as we increase that fear of God, we're going to find that we increase our fear of God in direct proportion to how we decrease our fear of man. As one goes up, the other is going to go down. And as the other one goes up, the 
other one's going to go down. And if we begin to fear man, then we're going to start fearing God less and less. If we start fearing God, we're going to start fearing man less and less. And these two are intricately connected. The, um, uh, they are inversely proportional. And if we look at Rahab, what we see is even though she was born as any other human being, low on the scale, feared man uh, a, a whole lot, feared God very, uh, very little bit. But when she saw what God did, she increased her fear of God and decreased her fear of man at the same time. That's the way it works. And what is God's commentary on Rahab? What does he say about her? You know, a lot of people will, will preach uh, Joshua 2 and focus on the fact that she deceived people. And, but you know what? That's not the focus of Joshua 2. In fact, if we look at both of the New Testament references that talk about Rahab, we find a very positive image that God paints of Rahab in, in Hebrews 11, 31. Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith, right? It is, this is the, great, it's, uh, it's the passage that walks through all these great men of faith throughout the entire Old Testament. She's included in that. Just being on this list is amazing. But it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Talking about whom? People of Jericho. When she had received the spies with peace. God says, Rahab was a woman of faith. Why? Because she chose to fear God instead of fearing men. One of the things I love about this story, too, is just knowing, Bible doesn't go into detail, but knowing what her occupation was beforehand reminds us that it's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done in the past. It's about who you fear. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, I'm sure we could have people come up and share stories. We're not going to do it, but to share stories of how sinful their lives used to be, but then God got a hold of their lives, and he's changed everything. Amen? You see that happen, and, and hopefully every single one of us would feel the same way looking at our past lives before God got a hold of us. And, uh, and we see that. How about James? Uh, we find another reference. James 2.25 says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? By the way, this is not a passage that teaches justification by works in the context. It's saying you see that a person is justified by their works. So, in other words, the evidence of her justification came through her works. And what was her works? She received the messengers and sent them out a different way. She received them and she, she rescued them. That's the fear of God. That's the fear of God. So two applications as we, we start to wind down today. Two potential applications depending on where you're at. Number one, if you do not yet fear God, what's the application? You should be afraid. You should be afraid. Because we, we know who God is. We should have that reverent fear of who God is. In Exodus 15, um, 11 through 16, we find uh, this is just after crossing the Red Sea. They sing what we call the Song of Moses. Listen to the words of the song that they sang right after crossing the Red Sea. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in the strength of your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. <coughs> Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All of the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. You see a lot of the descriptions that we saw in the people of Jericho. Verse 16, fear and dread will fall on them. 
by the greatness of your arm, they will uh, be as still as stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Amen. If, if you don't fear the Lord, let me go back one If you don't fear the Lord, now's the time to start. You need to recognize who God is. Look at the great things that he's done. I'd also like to look at uh, Revelation 20. All we have to do is just say, oh, this is old, old Testament stuff we've been talking. Here's a New Testament reference. That should inspire a little bit of fear in our hearts. It's the great white throne judgment. And toward the end of Scripture, we read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the death who, uh, or the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I hate to bring this up as a scary thought, but you know what? Sometimes we need to be afraid in order to learn how to fear with reverence. This is the end of those who do not know God. Just as the end of the people of Jericho, when they chose to respond to God through defiance, where did they end up? They died. It's the same thing spiritually for us. For those who, who respond to God with defiance, our end is certain. But if we respond to God and we say, you know what, I'm going to be on his side, and we have this reverent fear of God, that changes everything, including our eternal destiny. Amen? It is my heart's desire that no one leaves today without understanding that. And that's what brings us really to the second application. Um, the first one is if you don't fear God, it is time to start fearing Him. But if we look at the second one, if you already do fear God, then guess what? You have nothing else to fear. Amen. Nothing else to fear. If you genuinely grasp the awesomeness and the power of God, then you will laugh at any other fear that comes your way. And when you don't, because you're forgetting to fear God. And your fear of man is getting too high. Your fear of man is getting too low. And you've got to reverse that cycle once again. I love the way, the way David put it in Psalm 27. said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my, enemy, or, uh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I desire of the Lord, and that I will see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. You see what's going on? As David draws himself closer and closer to God, what happens to his view of his enemies? I fear them? How can I be afraid of that? He goes on to say, for in the time of trouble, he, talking about the Lord, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The end result is in praise. When we genuinely understand who God is, if we fear him with It might be easy to say, no, but Pastor Dave, that's, that's David in the Old Testament. These are Old Testament heroes 
want to introduce you to just one modern day Rahab. And we'll close with this. this is Miriam Ibrahim. Anyone recognize uh, who she is? Uh, she's a Christian. She's a Sudanese woman. She was accused of adultery and apostasy from the Islamic faith. The reason she was accused of adultery is because uh, she had a child with her husband. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, I know the definition of adultery, and that doesn't seem like adultery, right? But the Sudanese government does not recognize any marriage to a Christian man. So in the eyes of the state, that's adultery. Does that seem just to you? She was also accused of, of apostasy from the Islamic faith. Um, because of her adultery, she was, uh, the government, the Sudanese government, uh, sentenced her to a flogging with a hundred lashes. Think about that. A hundred lashes. I know that usually, they typically say over 40 is, is when they expect the person to die. For apostasy, we, she was told that she had three days to renounce her Christian faith and return to the tenets of Islam under the penalty of death. She was given a, sense de a, a, a sentence of death, and then with all these punishments hanging over her head, flogging, hundred lashes, which would end in death, they said, you have three days to change your mind and follow the Islamic faith. Honestly, if you were there, what would you do? Because all you had to do, all you have to do is say, you know what, I am returning to the, the tenets of Islam, I will reject Jesus Christ as being my savior, and you're free. You're free. When they returned three days later, she had a very short statement. And this is what she said. She said, I am a Christian, and I will remain a Christian. Amen. Amen. Modern day. This is modern day Rahab. Why? Because you have the government of, this, of Sudan. Or you have, on the other side, you have God. She's saying, I will choose the side of God. And that gave her the courage to stand up to man. Her fear of man was an obstacle that she's already overcome because she feared God more. The Bible says, why fear man when all they can do for you is kill you? When you should fear God, who's in control of your eternal destiny. You know what? I, I knew she, she knows, or she knew at that time, she could die for this decision. Okay. Because I'd rather die than reject my God. What an amazing thought. Daniel said the same thing. He said, you, you can throw me into the fire, but you can't kill me. God has to allow that to happen. And so I trust in him. And if he does kill me, it's okay. Remember that? And this, when Daniel was thrown into the furnace, we see that fear of man being taken care of because of the fear of God. I just want to end by saying, you can see this picture was taken. Uh, you can see a little bit of a, of a jet engine there. This was taken after she landed in Italy. She is now free from the Sudanese government. God has power, doesn't he? Amen. He can choose. And he could have chosen for her to die and, and at that time to be an example, but God in his power, it was nothing to rescue her. It was nothing to him because we serve that great of a God. My encouragement for you today then is to fear the Lord. Let's, what about you? What about you? Are you afraid of God? If you're not afraid of him, you should be. But if you fear him, and is it the type of fear that brings you to defiance or the type of fear that leads you to compliance? Are you sure that you're on his side? If you're here today and say, Pastor Dave, I might be a person of Jericho. Maybe 
Maybe I've had some level of fear, but I've never had that reverent fear, that desire to have a relationship. I've never known that I would be on God's side. Do not leave today without talking to me. And if several people come and talk to me, and I'll give you an opportunity when we sing, I'll give you an opportunity to come talk to me or to, uh, to someone else because you should not leave today with having, being afraid of God. But I want you all to leave today having a fear of God. And if you are sure, no reason to. No matter what's on your plate today, some of you might be coming today, and, and there are so, so many worries on your plate today, and Lord, I can't handle this. Don't fear man. Fear God. Because no matter what it is, it's small for God's shoulders, no matter how much or how heavy it might be on our shoulders. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that fearing you is just really the beginning of some in here that have never feared you. It's very easy to, to forget you or to ignore you. It's in our natures, according to Romans 1. It's also a part of our culture where they, they don't attribute things to you anymore. Your Ten Commandments have been taken down from, from the courthouses by nature, but we're, we do not respect you. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that today is the first day that they're hearing of who you really are, may they not leave.